Morning. 11 o'clock, what's up? All right. Uh, John chapter 1 is uh, where we'll be in just a moment. Um, we're right kind of in the middle of that, uh, we're three weeks into 2012. Everyone's still alive? All right, obviously. Um, but we're right in the middle of this epiphany season, this sort of, uh, this period between Christmas and the Lent season, which will begin at the end of February uh, this year. And really the heartbeat of this season is simply to not sort of run ahead, but to sit still and to recognize and celebrate and take in and breathe in uh, who Jesus is, this incarnation, which means that God came to earth in his son, Jesus. And so this time of the year, really, we've just chosen to sit still and listen and watch and kind of, you know, pay attention to Jesus. How, how interesting is that? And um, we also have decided that we're just going, from now all the way through Easter, we're just going to talk about Jesus. Uh, not that we don't talk about Jesus each week, but we're just going to solely look at different stories uh, in the scriptures where Jesus uh, reveals who he was to the people around him, to the world around him. And the invitation, I've said this before, this series doesn't really have an application, but instead it's a long invitation to, uh, to do that, to watch Jesus, to pay attention, to maybe keep reading, keep learning, keep processing who this Jesus is. So if you're a Christian, if you're like me and you've been a follower of Christ for some time, it's a time where uh, you can, along with me, renew your passion to sort of watch Jesus and to take in and to see what he's doing and what he's teaching and all that. If you're someone who is not a Christian, if you're just in here checking this out, uh, which I'm assuming that many of you are, um, or you're someone who's returning to faith perhaps and you're not quite sure what the next step is, also a great time because we're just going to be talking through some of these stories like the one today uh, about who Jesus is. And so that's a bit of an introduction uh, as to where we are. Uh, the last two Sundays, um, have been just that. We've looked at different passages and different stories. Um, Ian, you're here. Yes. They were, uh, so here's the story. Uh, uh, that's right. Is that like a number to the nursery? Or no, the baby's back there. We just have these conversations on the stage. But no, Ian and Jenny Reeves had the last baby of the year for CCB uh, in December, and they're here today. So that's cool. All right. Uh, there were eight births last year in our church, so this is pretty interesting. Um, I just wasted 48 seconds of your time, but <laughs> thank you for letting me do that. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, the first two weeks of the year, we just looked at these different, two different passages that were just saying, Jesus is the Son of God. That's all we were doing. No application, no, this is what you do with it, but it's just, this is what it says. And the gospel writers put down the stories in their gospel writings so that we would see that, so that we would just see who Jesus was. Today, we enter into a two-week process of looking at these two different stories where Jesus calls people into discipleship, where he calls them to follow him. And this is a very interesting thing. For us Bible types, these stories in the scriptures are called uh, call narratives. And the Bible is full of them. For example, uh, Moses, he gets called by God to free the people of Israel from slavery. Do you know the story? Um, the prophets, they get called by God to speak very difficult things back into the nation of Israel. Uh, moving past Jesus, somebody like Paul, he gets called to stop persecuting the first generation Christians and to become one of them. And then to become like 
an apostle, a leader, a church planter, right? So the Bible is full of these stories and these uh, different call narratives, different call stories of people. And today we're going to look at the call narrative of two people, Philip and Nathaniel. And uh, if you notice, Philip, look in verse 43. This is so funny because there's two kinds of calls here. The first one is the Philip gets called by Jesus to be a disciple. Jesus simply says to him, follow me. And the, the picture we get is that Philip basically drops his gear and goes with Jesus. It's just that fast. And so, you know, this, the first type of call narrative that we find in the scriptures are the ones that are very short and to the point and therefore uh, are very difficult for us to uh, believe or accept because they seem so odd because they're so uh, quick to say yes. Like, did he not think it through? Follow me. We sort of picture like Jesus saying, follow me, and everyone just becomes this zombie, and they follow Jesus. But it's important to know that Philip already knew who Jesus was. This is not a cold call. Hey, let me just tell, I mean, Philip, there's certainly, he's certainly an early adopter. I mean, he's, I don't know if you're like this, but Philip is the guy, he's the kid who camped out for the new iPhone. Are you with me? Anybody like that? It, you, there's no reviews on it. They haven't even finished putting the screws in it, but you're going to get it first. You don't need to be convinced. You already have this history of maybe you have one, maybe you had one, maybe your friends had one, but you're in, you're going to buy in without any sort of, you don't need any convincing, at least not as much. And so Philip becomes like that for us. He's that kind of, it's not that he hasn't thought it through, he just doesn't have as much tension in uh, answering the call of Jesus. But the Bible when it talks about people being called by God to do something, it doesn't give us much story on people like Philip. It just simply says, yeah, they go with God. But what the Bible seems to be interested in doing is fleshing out for us the call narratives in which there are all kinds of tensions and that they're filled with struggle. Because I think that relates more to us. This Philip guy, we don't connect with him. But Nathaniel saying, I don't know, that makes more sense to us. And so the Bible is very intentional from the beginning to the end when it has these different passages where people are called by God to do this or do that. If there's doubt and skepticism and tension, it likes to flesh that out for us. And what's interesting about every call narrative in the Bible that has tension, the five, there are five moving parts to it, five components that are always present. Let me show you what they are. Uh, Divine news, invitation, objections and doubt, assurance, signs. Now, my guess is you're sitting on one of these five categories. But let's use the story of Moses as an example, because that's one of the earlier ones. Uh, Moses sees a burning bush. You know the story. So Moses says, I need to go check that out. So he goes and checks that out. And while he's there, he hears the voice of God. And they have this back and forth, first of all, about getting your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. And then uh, Moses is listening and God says to him, I've heard the cry of my people. They're in slavery. And so this is the divine news, otherwise known as the confrontation. It's not like a call. It's not an invitation yet. It's just God's making it known that he's in on the, he's, he's very aware of the, the situation. And so he makes it known to Moses, uh, I've heard the cry of my people, which happened to be very connected to Moses. And then comes the invitation. Moses, I want you to free them from slavery. I want you to go and set them free. So divine news, invitation. And then what does Moses do next? He objects. He has 
all sorts of excuses. I don't talk well. I'm not a leader, etc., etc. And he goes through all these different reasons why he can't do the thing that God wants him to do. It doesn't mean the first two things, you know, it doesn't mean Moses doesn't believe the first two things. Okay, great. God has spoken to me. I'm in. I've heard the cry of my people. They're in slavery. I need you to free them. Moses certainly believes that's true. That needs to happen. And then God says, I want you to do that. And Moses says, I don't think so. You have the wrong person. And here's the list of reasons why. The doubts, the objections, all the tension there. And the next thing that follows is that there's this uh, assurance or reassurance given by God. So what, they, what God does with Moses here is says to him, he says to him, look, I'll be with you. You know, that's the, that's the quintessential faith-based encouragement. God is with you. Doesn't do much for us, does it? What does that mean? I mean, I know what it means in theory, but what does that mean? And so Moses is still struggling here, but God continues to say, I will be with you. I will be with you. Moses says, fine, who do I tell him is sending me? And God says, tell him I sent you. And he gives him a name. And so they go back and forth about this isn't going to work. And then God finally says, let me give you some signs to prove that it's all going to be good. And so they go through this uh, experience after experience of, you know, basically some miracles. That's how it works every single time. God makes himself known. There's the invitation to trust him. We put up a wall and say, I get it, but I'm not there, and here's why. And then there's some kind of reassurance or assurance for the first time. And then there's some sort of sign. Maybe not, it doesn't have to be miraculous, it's just there's this reassuring sign that goes hand in hand. That's very important. And that's how Nathaniel's uh, call rolls out. Let's look at it very quickly. Again, Philip's call is very fast. Again, he's an early adopter. And though it reads like a story of someone who hasn't thought it through, you know, come follow me, and he does, it's in fact not like that at all. Again, when the writers of the gospel put these stories in their accounts, some of them relate more to us than others. And so Philip's quick buy-in doesn't mean he didn't struggle with the decision. It just means that his acceptance of who Jesus claimed to be came with less of a fight, but not so much with Nathaniel. Now, who is this Nathaniel, by the way? The truth is we really don't know. He's not listed in any other gospel. He's mentioned a couple of times in John. There's been some discussion to whether Nathaniel is actually Bartholomew, who's mentioned in the other three gospels, but not in John, because Bartholomew is not actually a name, it's a title. And so maybe Nathaniel is the real name. And in the other gospels, Nathaniel is always grouped, or Bartholomew is always grouped with Philip. But at the end of the day, nobody really knows. And so we're just kind of left with this guy whom we know very little about. And what I like about that is that that's just like you and me. I mean, we're not Peter, the lead disciple, and none of us are Judas, maybe. We're just kind of that no-name person who's been confronted with the story of Jesus, and we're left to wrestle with it. And so Nathaniel becomes this nice picture of all of us dealing with this news of Jesus. Now Nathaniel, as you can see, was not easily convinced. I mean, Philip comes to him and says these very profound words, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. And look at the title sequence that Philip gives Jesus. He is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of who? 
Joseph. Let me break this down for you. In the days of Jesus, I don't know, every fourth person was named Jesus. Very popular name. So Jesus, it's not that spectacular of a name. It is to us. I mean, we read Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. That carries some weight with us, but not then. Oh, another Jesus, another person named Jesus. And then Philip says, he's from Nazareth. What's Nazareth? It's really a no place place. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament, interestingly. Uh, The first century historian, meaning he lived in the first century, named Josephus, never mentions it. It's a no place place. It's Temple, Georgia. (laughs) If you're from Temple, I don't mean that, but nothing's coming out of there. You know what I'm saying? It's like my wife and I and son, we go to Disney World every Thanksgiving. It's our tradition. And we always go to Epcot. You like Epcot? And it's got the uh, World Showcase, which has all the fake countries. That's what we call it, fake Canada, fake Norway, fake, you know, whatever. We always go to fake Germany and eat in the beer garden. And uh, they seat you with people, just, you know, like authentically German seating. And so this past year, we're sitting, of course, with a lady who, before I even started my appetizer, she's telling us about her C-section. So I looked at Mickey, I looked at my wife, and I was like, really? Like, okay. Um, and so then the band comes out, and they're all dressed in lederhosen, and they're playing the German music. And I look at my wife, and I say, every time we come here and the band comes out, I'm reminded that other than maybe the Scorpions that's dating me, Germany's put out no good music. <laughs> so if you came to me and said oh, you got to hear this new band. Uh, And I'm like, where are they from? And you say, they're from Munich. I'm going to say, really? Like, (laughs) tell me they're from New York or like Athens. Please tell me they're from Athens. We need something good coming out of there lately. But Germany, like it's just nothing, nothing's coming out of there musically. If you're German, (laughs) it's one long disclaimer sermon. Uh, (laughs) So he says it's Jesus from Nazareth. It's just a no place place. And then he capstones that title sequence with the son of Joseph. Who's Joseph? No one. He's an everyday, hardworking, construction worker, making ends meet. And the Bible barely mentions him. And so Philip comes to Nathaniel with this heavy dose of information. We have found the one that the scriptures have promised us. And it's this ordinary named guy from a no-name town, the son of a no-name man. Nothing in that title sequence for Nathaniel spoke anything other than normal. Normal. That's why Nathanael says in verse 46, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Think about the first time someone told you about Jesus. And they did it with great conviction. Like they were really excited to tell you about their faith. Did it seem far-fetched to you? Does it still seem far-fetched to you? 
And I might be that guy for you. Like, you come in here on Sundays, and I'm the one in your life that's speaking to you about Jesus, and no one else is. And maybe you leave here some Sundays and say in the car or in your head on the way home, I don't know if I believe all that. I mean, if you had to list out what your reservations were about Jesus, or still are about Jesus, what would they be? Are they the miracles? Is it the whole God came to earth and became a person thing? Is it the resurrection? Like, what is it? I love the riff in the opening chapter of um, uh, Donald Miller's chapter on faith in Blue Like Jazz, where he says, the goofy thing about Christian faith is that you believe it and you don't believe it at the same time. It isn't unlike having an imaginary friend. And then he says, I believe in Jesus, and I believe he is the Son of God, but every time I sit down to explain this to somebody, I feel like a palm reader, or like someone who works for the circus, or a kid who's always making stuff up, or someone at a Star Trek convention who hasn't figured out the show isn't real. (laughs) I mean, can we just admit that that makes sense? I mean, can we just sit here, even as, even as people of faith, and like just go, you know what, that, I get that. I get that. And so we can relate to Nathaniel, I think. Think back again to when you were first confronted with that story of Jesus, and you just thought to yourself, I don't know. It doesn't seem plausible. And then check out Philip's response. Come and what? See. Three words. Come and see. I love the response. Philip, he didn't debate the facts or the truth. He just invited Nathaniel to come and see Jesus for himself. Come, just come see him for yourself and then you make the call. I mean, he didn't lay anything out. There's no Bible maps. There's no evidence chart. It's just come and see what I'm talking about. And this is how the gospel writers have set up their accounts of Jesus for us. They're all invitations for us to keep reading and to keep watching and to keep seeing and observing, all in hopes that we might come to some conclusions about uh, Jesus, I don't have this on the screen, but turn to John 20. It's just the, one of the last two chapters of John's gospel. We read this week one, uh, but I want to read it again just as a reminder. But in verses 30 and 31, this is how John basically begins to shut down his gospel account of Jesus. It says, Jesus did many other mir- miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So everything that John put in his book is not the whole story. There's more. That's what he's saying. I just, he's like, I didn't even bother putting it all in here. And then in verse 31, he says, But these are written that you may, what? Believe. That's the agenda. What's the agenda of the Gospels? That you buy it. That you hear these firsthand accounts of Jesus and that you believe it. It says that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And and Philip's way of getting Nathaniel even to that conversation is just to come and see. This is very different than we're used to in our culture because the invitation to come and see has been replaced by the church with endless debate and arguing over the evidence. 
as a point of admission to you from a pastor, the church has stolen away the freedom for people to explore Jesus for themselves. And in return, we've started to throw all the data and facts at people instead. And it's funny and sad at the same time because Jesus is never pictured in the Gospels as someone who did this. You'd think he'd want to prove himself, but you never find Jesus arguing that. And so there's something to learn from Philip's brilliant response to Nathaniel's doubt and struggle. He simply just looked at him and said, look, don't jump to conclusions. Just come and see for yourself. Then you can make the call. And I think there's a great lesson for us there. For those of us, again, who are Christians and have been followers of Jesus for some time, there is the possibility that we no longer see Jesus. There is the possibility that we have moved on from coming and seeing and now we're just dissecting. Now we're just putting all the ducks in a row of our knowledge. And we have all the right answers and we've distanced ourselves from the wonder and the glory that Jesus is. So it's a reminder for us to continue to keep our eyes open and be amazed by him. But for those of you who are not so sure about who this Jesus is, I think it's a fantastic invitation into something very profound, this observational discipleship, just watching and seeing what's going on. Let's take care of verses 47 through 51, because they're just weird. And I know you're probably going, I don't understand the conversation between Jesus and Nathaniel. So let's just, I'll do, I'll do my best in a couple minutes, because it, it, it's pretty involved. But uh, verse 47, so Nathanael goes with Philip, and in verse 47 it says, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here's a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. So there's some things going on here that may or may not interest you. Uh, there's a person in the Old Testament whose name was also Israel, and that person's name was Jacob. Jacob was also named Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. And so there's this there's this thought and this, again, because nobody really knows the full story here, there's this thinking, the line of thinking that maybe Nathaniel is related in the line or the genealogy to Jacob. So perhaps Jesus sees him and he calls out his lineage. Oh, here's a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. How does that connect to Jacob? Because Jacob was full of deceit, tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright. I mean, the Bible gives us the picture of Jacob grasping the heel of Esau as they were born. I mean, this guy is full of deceit. So the name Israel there might not refer to the nation, but the man Jacob. There's also an old Jewish tradition about the word Israel. Again, which means one who wrestles with God. Is means he, and then uh, roi, which means to see. So there's about wordplay here, and el is God. So some, there's some Jewish tradition about how this is a statement about here's someone who truly sees God for who he is. Is, roi, el. So it's a play on perhaps. But again, it's all guesswork. But whatever happened, it got underneath Nathaniel's skin. Because look in verse 48. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. How do you know me? So Jesus says to him, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now there's some things going on here as well. In rabbinic literature, the fig tree is a symbol for study. 
It's a symbol for uh, pondering on the scriptures, thinking about God's word. So if that's what's happening here, Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, I saw you while you were studying God's word. And as you'll see in a moment, I know what you were studying. I know what you were thinking. I know what you were looking at. There's also this uh, connection back to Zechariah 3 verse 10, which is this prophecy about how God will call all his people out from under a fig tree. It's just imagery. But So Jesus, again, may he's clearly inside of Nathaniel's head. And this is freaking Nathaniel out, just like it would any of us. Because in those days, miracles, I know this may sound surprising to you, but miracles were often, I mean, they were spectacular for people to witness, but oftentimes they were dismissed as magic. Uh, They were dismissed as things that could be done by magicians. But to know what someone was thinking was a sign of the divine. So perhaps Nathaniel, when Jesus says to him, oh, here's a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false, false, Think about that passage that uh, Jeff read for us during worship from Psalm 139, where it says, you know my thoughts. You know me better than I know myself. So it's kind of tripping him out. In verse 49, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, it's a very honorable term, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Now, for some reason, These few things that Jesus says to Nathanael are enough for him to take the next step with Jesus. His statement, by the way, you are the son of God, the king of Israel, is not belief in its fullest form yet. It's simply an acceptance to go further with Jesus, to go to the next thing, to see what the next display of who he was would be. And this kind of humors Jesus a bit. Look in verse 50. He says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. Like, really? That's all it took for you. This is going to be easy. I mean, maybe he really just saw him. You know, I, I saw you there. And that just gets Nathaniel going. But this is what Jesus says to him. You will see greater things than this. So it, it humors Jesus. But in verse 50, Jesus riffs out the very thing that all of us who are Christians know. And that's this, that there is so much more to see. And there's so much more to experience. There's so much more to this than just putting your trust in him. There's more. There's things that are happening, things that will go on in our lives that we never expected. And then Jesus says in verse 51, it says, He then added, I tell you the truth, that you shall see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is a, Jesus is pulling a line from Jacob's, Genesis 28, He's pulling a line from Jacob's dream, the Jacob's ladder dream, where Jacob stops for the night and he sleeps and he has this dream, this vision. And in it, he sees angels descending and ascending on the ladder. So here's that whole Jacob connection. And Jesus says to Nathaniel, that whole thing that Jacob was seeing, this heaven and earth meeting, Humankind and God coming together. Angels descending and ascending right in front of you. He's saying, that's who I am. I'm God in the flesh. Heaven meeting earth. Now, all of this began, and again, it's not at its fullest form of belief. Not yet. But Nathaniel has enough to take the next step. He has enough to go forward. 
Let me break it down for you this way. Uh, and this will get us to our conclusion. In the church, it's real common, and this isn't necessarily bad, it's just kind of the only model we use, but it's like, we want you to believe first, and then you can belong. Believe all the facts, all the truths, all the things that the scripture says, then you can belong. Right? Get the data down, then you can be in community. But there's a lot of precedent in the Bible, particularly in the Gospels, where it's okay to belong for a while, and then maybe you stumble upon belief. This whole call into discipleship, though it sounds creepy, is really just Jesus saying, why don't you just trail me for a while and see what comes of that? And maybe you'll run into some belief. Maybe a small step of faith to just see what happens next leads to a greater relationship based on faith. Look in chapter 2 of John, just the very next thing. This is poetic justice, I think, as well, because Nathaniel, we do know, was from Cana. So the first miracle that happens is in Cana at a wedding. Maybe you like this story. It's the water into wine. <laughs> the very ending of this story is quite interesting. Verse 11, this, this turning the water into wine, uh, this, the first of his miraculous signs, this is the first miracle Jesus performed, says Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory So his miracle, again, showed people who he was. And then notice the last thing it says. And his disciples put their what in him? Faith. Well, hold on. I thought if you're a disciple, then you're bought in. Like you're full on bought in. There's nothing missing. Like to be a disciple, there's nothing missing, right? I mean, you got the belief thing down, then you're a disciple. But the scriptures tell us here that, oh, Jesus performs a miracle, and the disciples, the people that followed him, it was right then that they said, you know what, I think I'm in. I just saw something pretty amazing. That confirms more of what Jesus has been saying about himself. I'm in. I'm further in than I was before this happened. And so the discipleship process for the first followers of Jesus was progressive, It's come follow me. Okay, I'll trust you on this. There's enough to go on. And then we have this miracle, and it says right then that they put their faith in him. We think it should read the other way around. They put his faith in him, and then they became disciples. But the disciples put their faith in him after they saw this miracle. I don't know if that's intriguing, frightening, or weird. But I'm more convinced now than ever before that the truth of Jesus is not always discovered before the journey, but somewhere on it. That doesn't mean it's blind. It just means that I don't know if we fully get it until we're on it. I've been talking about Jesus on stages like this for almost 20 years. I have a degree in Jesus which looks horrible on a resume. So it says here you got a degree in Bible. I got nothing for you. And so that's me, but I still have times where I'm reading the scriptures and something jumps out at me and I say, man, I didn't know that. Or that's new information. Or that's old information reframed in a new way. 
It's always a discovery. Like when I was baptized at 16, I didn't know anything. I mean, I knew enough to go on. I knew enough to get in the water. But I didn't know any, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Are you with me on this? For those of you who are Christians, like you don't know. I mean, you know enough to move, but you don't know everything. And so this is a pretty amazing thing that Philip would say to Nathaniel, as Nathaniel says, I don't think so. Philip doesn't go into this lecture on how it's true. He just tells Nathaniel, just come and see. The truth will come out, or it won't, right? And so here's my Philip-type invitation for you. And this goes for Christians and those of you who are not as well. And this may be hard, but just go with me on this. Forget about whatever you know or don't know about Jesus for a while. Just forget about it. And just commit or recommit to following him around for a while. Just commit to a season of coming and seeing who he is. Forget about everything that currently stands in the way of faith for you. That could be the faults of the church. That could be uh, your Christian coworker who drives you crazy. That could be, you know, whatever negative impact religion has made on your life. Forget about all that. Forget about it. And just follow him around for a while and see what happens. Because you never really know. You might run into truth. And you might run into belief. I was having this discussion with a friend a few weeks ago about faith and object, uh, objectionable truth, you know, like you, like you do. And how there, it's a struggle to believe in something that you can't prove. It can't be proven in a lab or in a tube or on the field. Like, it's just, it's not possible. And it's, for some people, uh, ridiculous to believe in something that can't be proven. At least on the front end. And I think it's a fair point. I mean, why put your faith in something or someone like Jesus if you can't test that and prove it ahead of time? I get it. I mean, I've struggled with that too. I mean... As a pastor, even as a pastor, I've had seasons of great doubt and struggle in faith and belief, just like you. I've even stood up here and preached through texts that were troubling to me. And so I, I understand it when people stop at simply saying, you know, Jesus was clearly a good guy, if he even existed. But I don't know about this son of God, him loving us, dying for I don't know about all that. It's not provable. It can't be proven. And so the question was given to me, like, what do you do with that? What do you do with, it's just not objectionable truth? Well, I'm not a terribly smart guy, but I did respond by saying, here's a harder question. Why did you believe her when she said, I love you? Why? There's really no reason to. I mean, those three words, they mean so much, and yet they don't promise anything. And yet, we believe that. I've done a ton of weddings because of what I do. There's nothing objectionable about a wedding. 
It's all simply a promise. In fact, what's proven about a wedding is that, or what's proven about marriage is that they don't always, they're not always proven. I mean, you know, the stats haven't changed. 50% of them don't work. And so when he or she says, I do, why do, why do you believe that? Is that a step of faith? Yeah. Because there's no moment in the wedding where they say, I do, and you pause for a moment and run that through the grid and run that through all the testing. You can't. And when someone says, I love you, I mean, what are those three words but a phrase that hits the heart of our deepest hopes and fears in every relationship? When someone says the long-awaited words to us, I love you, do you remember the first time you heard that? You're dating somebody and you're like, when is this going to come out? You know, when is she going to say that? When is he going to say that? How do you say that? And if you say it too soon, it's really weird. You know, they just say thanks, and you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, I really love hanging around you as well. I mean, it's just really, it's really hard. But when those words are exchanged, let's go that way, it doesn't make everything better. It makes everything more complicated. Because... Now the relationship has moved from just trying to get to that point where you hear those words from each other to now always worrying if they'll always be true. And what is a relationship with someone other than a discovery process of the truth or the lie in those words? That's it. I love you. Okay? We will discover that truth as we go. How do you know they're true? The, the answer is you can't. Not on the front end. You'll have to come and see. You'll have to come with me in that part of the relationship and see. Think about Jesus on trial in front of Pilate. And Pilate asked Jesus who he was. You know. And Jesus responds with this very cryptic, Riff when he says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate says back to him, what is truth? What is truth? And John records no response from Jesus. He just stands there. Why? Is it possible that truth is not something that can always be explained in words. And is it possible that truth has to be discovered? And is it possible that the truth of Jesus cannot only be spoken, but it has to be experienced? And Jesus is standing there on trial, not having enough time to explain to Pilate the depth of his question and also the depth of who he was. It's as if Jesus was saying, you wouldn't believe if I told you, because really, what are facts and figures other than just more things for us to work through? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. And you're going to see what truth is when I come out of the grave, but he wouldn't got that either. So he just stands there, speaking the truth that truth is sometimes not spoken. 
Just come and see. And I think there's some great stuff in this story. I mean, Philip, he's an early adopter. He's in. But Nathaniel's like us. Nathaniel's like, you know what? I have some objections. And Philip says, I get that. But why don't you just come and see? And so here's what you can do. This is not profound. This is a very non-profound ending. Um, But take it seriously and see what becomes of this. This is my challenge to you. For a while, why don't you just commit to reading the Gospels, which are the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just read those for a while. Stop reading everything else in the Bible and just read the Gospels. Just read the stories of Jesus, his teachings, and watch him. And write down the things that inspire you. Write down the things that trouble you. Write down the things that cause tension in your heart. But just do that for a while. Just come and forget about everything you know or don't know about him. Just start from square one and read the Gospels. Just do that. It's a come and see invitation. And don't, read, don't worry about all the other questions of faith and whatever. Don't worry about if, if evolution is true or not. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about how the world ends. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about all the difficult passages in the scriptures that don't make any sense. Don't worry about that. That's not your biggest concern. Your biggest concern is coming and seeing Jesus for who he is. I think about C.S. Lewis and his attempt to essentially dismantle Christianity, and in the process, he runs headlong into faith. How? Because it's just, I'm going to come and I'm going to watch this Jesus over and over, over again. And you might run into belief, and you might not, but you might. No data, no numbers, you don't need it. Just watch Jesus Check him out for a while. Read the Gospels for a season. And as always, stay here. I mean, just keep coming and listening and taking part in the way of Jesus. And see him. Come and see. Does that make sense? Let me pray. And then we will move into um, communion. And there are four tables, if you're new with us. Uh, two in the back, two up front here. And uh, a couple things about this. I meant to say this last week. I've noticed that some of you will take the bread and the cup and try and sneak it back to your seat. You don't need to sneak it back. You can take it. <laughs> like, I know that there's some, some kind of, like, I'm not sure what to do with it, but you are welcome to take that back to your seat. You're also welcome to take it around the table. You can do whatever it is that you want to do. So I want to just let you know that uh, ahead of time. But this bread and this juice represent really a shorthand version of the story of Jesus, that he came, that he died, he rose again, and that the bread represents his body and the blood is represented by the juice. And these things are physical reminders of his story, uh, the one that we're calling all of us to wrestle with and to embrace. And so as we take the bread and the juice Uh, Just think about maybe some things that we've talked about today and think about where you are uh, in your relationship with him. If you would like us to pray for you uh, in any way, uh, particularly about what we've talked about today, then a couple things. You can put your prayer 
uh, requests in the offering boxes or after the service. Uh, you can come find me and, uh, and we can talk as well. But, so I'm going to pray and we're going to move into a time of communion. And then, um, and then Lindsay will come up after we sing and dismiss you guys. So let's all stand and we'll pray. God, we thank you for, uh, again, a story like today's, and we thank you for um, just how relatable it is that we can look into your word and find people just like us. And this Nathaniel, the reservations, the tensions, the doubts, we've all experienced those, and my guess is there are people in the room uh, right now who are going through those same struggles wanting your story to be true, but not really certain. And God, we just stand here as a, as a room full of, um, of people who are broken and people who um, are just trying to, uh, some of us who are Christians, just trying to follow you, trying to live the life that you call us to live. And uh, for those in here who are still just not quite sure of who you are, that it's just very confusing and troubling. But God, let this bread and this juice represent the facts that you came and, and that you died on behalf of the world, that you raised from the dead, and that you will come again. And when you come again, that everything will be made right, that the world gets put back together, that As your word says, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And so God, as we take these elements, as the church has done from the very beginning, let it connect us to that long-standing story of truth and love and grace pictured in your son, Jesus, in whose name that we pray. And everyone said, amen.